World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it, and another man who loves it. territory marks is back baby episode four. Oh my gosh episode four it's uh well a lot of big news actually a lot of stuff to talk about in the intro to this first of all uh welcome back everybody paul it's great to be with you as always per usual. great to be with you at the cusp of summertime yeah i wanted to title this feel 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 my heat because there's a lot of heat <laughs> In this episode, there's a lot of heat in the, um, in the in the well in the summer right now. Uh, feel, 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 feel my heat. I I think we should do that again. Feel, 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 feel my heat. <laughs> you can't take the magic that's on those tapes. That's our magic. That's our magic is on those tapes. Look, it, look, it, we we have to take those tapes. And we have to get them to the radio or whatever he says. Get the record deal to pay you the money. I don't understand why you can't understand this. That is an YP, not an MP. Your problem. YP, MP, I don't understand this inside jargon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to remember. Oh you can't go wrong with old Reed and Dirk. No, you can't. No, that's late 70s. I was going to say. Or would that have been 80s at the time? I think it was right on the cusp. Yeah. Because that was the end of the bringing in the 80s, right? So like, yep. this was like later into the struggling years. I think this was like early 80s. Yeah. We would have to find out when Knight Rider or when, uh, yeah, whatever that song he's playing. Well, he's doing The Touch originally. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. And we talked about this on the previous, uh, on the Cobra episode that Dustin and I did. You know, it, I want to know the history. I guess I got to watch the commentary on Boogie Nights to find out the history of why they chose the touch. Sure. But it's pretty wild. Th this episode is a little, not delayed, but we have a new format on $2 Late Fee. We're releasing an episode every single week now. So we have our main episode, then an interview with someone connected to the episode. Then the $2 six question segment that's reserved for Patreon is now on the free feed so people can get a taste of it. And wow. then we, we end the month or begin the month, depending on where it falls, with Territory Marks. So here we are. Wow. So this episode just dropped after uh, our $2 six question segment with Brian Thompson, a.k.a. the Night Slasher from Cobra. Yeah. In that interview, Brian, well, he plays us a, a song on the piano. Nice. You guys got to check out the video on YouTube. It's it's wild. Um, and he talks about the show Key West. Key West, which was a sick, uh, well, not a sitcom, a Fox show, an early inception of Fox. Did you ever watch Key West with um, no. Fisher Stevens? No. Was that pre-Baywatch? 
Uh, I believe it was. Yeah. Like right around the same time. Interesting. The name kind of sounds familiar, but I feel like that would have been too adulty and too sexy for my young, like 10 or what year was that? 90? 1993. So right around the same time of Baywatch. Oh, yeah. Totally different premise. <laughs> a totally different premise. It, really quickly, Fisher Stevens plays a, a guy who like basically wins the lotto up in Boston and moves down to Key West to become a writer like Hemingway. And things don't go as planned. But uh, Brian Thompson plays the local sheriff in town who's like this Zen yoga master. He's it's it's so against type and <laughs> he is brilliant. So anyways, there's dolphin talking and all sorts of weird stuff in Key West. Uh, it's it's a wild show. Yeah, I don't think 12 or 13 year old me would have been hooked on that. So I don't think that's probably why I didn't remember it or watch it. I don't think anybody was because it didn't last long. Now you'll watch yeah, it. Now I'd probably check it out. I know Brian is an interesting character, so dude, he is he's a trip. Uh so it's 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 fitting that this episode drops now. Uh it's it's July fourth weekend. It's my son's birthday today, July second, the the day that this episode drops. So happy birthday to Bodie. Um <laughs> He turns number nine, magical nine. Did you name him after the character in Point Break? That I get that question all the time. And I, well, what the answer else would be right? I don't know. The, no, it's uh, he's named after the the Bodis, the Bodhichiva. I, I forget how you say it, but uh, oh, the, very mystical the Bodhi tree. Yeah, he's very... named after the tree of enlightenment. Oh, that's um, amazing. But I've I've joked. I'm like, well, I I, I could have named him Dalton from Roadhouse. <laughs> that would have been good too. He would always be nice. <laughs> oh, nice one. There you go. <laughs> Feel my heat. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be doing that through this whole thing. I, I titled this Feel the Heat or Feel My Heat because um, these matches that we have today have a lot of heat around them, either in the ring, outside the ring, um, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, blah, 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 blah. It's true. I'm going first today because my match takes place in 83 yours takes place in 87 i believe yes yes um i'm gonna get right into it with my match ring that bell my match is the von erics versus the freebirds from july 4th 1983 the 40th anniversary of this famous match it was for the world six-man championship belts a belt i miss to this day if if they're gonna bring back a belt that would be maybe the one of the belts that I would like. How about you? I mean, I think, yeah, I I think that's it gets muddled, right? Um, today, I guess they would call it the Trios Championship, which oh yeah, yeah, I think Lucha Underground kind of brought back to the forefront. That's right from its partnership with AAA, because I think it's always been kind of a Lucha style type uh, championship, but. Yeah, I don't, you know, I can't say I'm the biggest fan of like a six-man tag team championship because then it's, then there will be an eight-man tag team championship and then maybe a five. Like, it's just, True. Tag team seems to be like that kind of where it's at, unless it's something very specific. Um, True. I feel that there's too many titles in wrestling as it is. So that's just me, crabby old man, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you on that. But it is interesting, you know, it makes me wish that demolition with crush would have, they would have been like a six man tag team championship. Um, yeah. Did they use the free bird rule? 
I think so, but there really weren't any other three-man teams in WWF at the time. So no, it was always it was always kind of some like rock paper scissors, one of you sits out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It would have been nice to see. I liked Crush, by the way. Me uh, too. When, when I liked that formation of demolition, that was pretty sick. Absolutely. Um, and, and and if anyone's wondering what the free bird rule is, wasn't it once they became like tag team champions that because there's three members of the free birds and we'll get to this in a second, um, they would like swap out guys every now and then. I believe so. I mean that I'm trying to think back of prior when there was uh, a triumvirate of combatants. I mean. Usually it was either like just a faction of multiple guys or a yeah. team. So, you know, the Freebirds in terms of American wrestling were certainly one of the first uh, triple kind of faction where they would all do the bad stuff. Um, I would think Buddy Roberts was usually the the slight weak link of the bunch, but he seemed to be that way, <laughs> you know. Well, so this is an interesting feud because because world class championship wrestling had had been around for quite some time. Uh, actually, Fritz von Erich, their their father, started the Fed. Uh, well, it started way back when we're talking late sixties, and uh, it really hit its stride in like eighty two yeah. when uh, Gary Hart. We talked about Gary Hart in a previous episode, and we will talk about him again for sure. He was like one of the bookers, uh, one of the masterminds behind many of the storylines in, in world class. And Fritz's sons, he had, well, he had several, and we'll get to that as well in a moment. But his main sons that wrestled were Carrie, David, and Kevin. I think in the in 82 is when they really started coming into their own. And the Freebirds in 82 were somewhat of a babyface team. Um, Michael P.S. Hayes. Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and of course, Buddy Roberts. Uh, but in December of 82, when Kerry had a match against Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich being the, the modern-day warrior, as they, as yeah. they title him, um, he, he battled Flair for the NWA title, and the match was uh, interrupted and, and uh, altered because Michael Hayes turned on them. And suddenly the Freebirds became the most hated team in Texas. In the South. Uh, well, I guess when they go to Georgia, they were big baby faces. But. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Georgia plays a part in this as well. This feud would continue on over the course of the following year, 83. And in, in the course leading up to this, Buddy Roberts uh, had a hair versus hair match versus Iceman King Parsons. <laughs> and he lost the match. Uh, Parsons put nair on his hair, basically the like, hair cream, and removed it all, made him a baldy. And so he would wear a wig with uh, with headgear on on top of it to conceal his bald head. And so that was the reason why you'll see in this match, or when you watch this match, and of course the links are in the show notes, uh, he's wearing headgear throughout. And this feud kind of culminated uh, in July of 83. So this is interesting, too. If you go into the show notes of, of like YouTube and online, they say one says it's at the Dallas Sportatorium. Another one says it's at Texas Stadium. Um, 
We believe that it's probably at Texas Stadium or yeah, something like that. Yeah, Florida has a very distinct look where it, it, you can tell it's not an outdoors feel to it. It's very much a smaller, dingy kind of, I don't even want to say arena. It's more like, it was like a bigger, bigger bingo hall-ish type. I mean, it was sportatorium. It was kind of a, a hall, a giant hall, but it was old and it was bigger than like say a bingo hall but not quite an arena yeah so yeah but very distinct look to it and this this very much is texas stadium as far as i can tell yeah yeah i mean this has a bigger feel to it than the, the, the sportatorium really quickly if you guys want to know more about world class and we will continue to talk about them through the episodes of course uh, there's a great documentary called Heroes of World Class. I actually put that link in the show notes, too. It's free on YouTube. It it, it has footage that uh, the WWE, I don't think, ever got, and in interviews that the WWE never got. It is most it is the most exhaustive documentary on world class and the, the fun Eric's and the whole history of the promotion uh, that I think you'll find out there. It's very hard to watch because the story of the Von Eric's is, is, a, is a sad one. It's super tragic. We're not going to talk about that today um, because pretty much after this match later on in the year was like the downfall of the family due right. to David Von Erich dying tragically in Japan uh, either at the end of this year or the beginning of the following. But the Von Erichs were, were the top baby faces. They were huge and the, and the Freebirds were hated for what they've done to the Von Erichs causing Carrie to not win the title. You know, Carrie... David and Kevin equally had their own like look and kind of gimmick and vibe about them. Carrie was the long-haired warrior-looking dude. He was chiseled from top to bottom. David was more of like the the beefy brawler guy. And then Kevin was the uh barefooted, you know, martial art hero um, you know, before some other current wrestler use the uh, shoeless gimmick. Uh, he was barefoot in the ring and just a total badass. All three of these guys were equally badasses, I, I must say. Um, and Fritz did a lot of the talking for them for their promos and such because they weren't the strongest with gimmick promos. But his dad, their dad was. He was the faceplate of the company and, um, you know, he, 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 he sold them very well. The Freebirds were killer at promos. In fact, they were... <laughs> like amazing uh in many ways their their promos are, are, are probably watched by future wrestlers to kind of study because they knew how to generate heat they generated heat like no other team down in texas uh at the time one guy in particular michael psa has a history of not being the most genuinely good guy uh <laughs> i don't know about terry gordy and buddy roberts but definitely michael psa he's dirty looking and i think that the, that look fits him to a T. Uh, I hadn't seen this match until much later on in my wrestling lore. Uh, my first introduction to the Freebirds was in the movie Highlander back in like 84 or whenever that movie came out. I'm like, who, who are these guys? Who's this hairy guy with, with his dance moves, all sexy dance moves? It's gross, but he's somewhat appealing. Um, Highlander movie? Is that what they're, which, which Highlander is that? In the first Highlander. Really? They appear in the, What? Yeah, Connor McLeod goes to a wrestling match. And... Oh wow! Okay, so <laughs> at least it's in the context of them being wrestlers, not just like. Oh, yeah, and it's great. It's great. I forget what Queen song is playing when they're wrestling. It's not the Highlander song that like Queen did. Like they did the theme. Song. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. 
I love that scene, that song, Princes of the Universe. The Highlander. But uh, but yeah, this match with the Freebirds and the Von Erichs, you know, top babyface, top heels colliding in July. This is a television main event for one of the most prestigious titles in the world, the six-man world tag team title. Best two out of three falls, 60-minute time limit. Introducing first the very worthy challengers from Lake Denton, total combined weight, 749 pounds, the fabulous Von Erich, Terry, David, and Kevin. And across the ring, the television, the world tag team title champion, the Freebird from Atlanta, Georgia, Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, combined weight 791 pounds. David Manning, your referee. This match from the onset generates heat because the Freebirds come to the ring and they come to the ring in Texas to the theme song of Georgia by Willie Nelson. <laughs> you hear the crowd just like, boo! You can hear specifically... So many just guttural, oh my God, you know, that's the last song you want to hear when a team is coming to the ring. They come to the ring with their stars and bars on their, um, adorned on their, on their robes and, uh, you know, their Confederate flags. And of course, Mark Lawrence, the commentator is like, oh, the beautiful robes of the Freebirds. Look at those beautiful robes. And, um. <laughs> He's like, wow, he really loves his robes because he gets the Carrie Von Eric and he's like, look at that beautiful robe by Carrie Von Eric. Yellow Rose of Texas. Um, they come to the ring, obviously get booed out of the building. And then the Von Erics come to the ring to LaGrange by CZ Top, which, you know, I played that at the onset of the episode. It's just a it's a kick ass song. It's just so good. And they come to the ring and they do some kind of moves with their body two to generate some buzz um and you know the the match overall is amazing this match is the best two out of three falls match for the world six-man championship the the freebirds were the title holders at the time this has a happy ending folks unlike many of the matches we've chosen in in the past (laughs) but um the match starts with david manning uh, as the referee and David Manning gets copious shout outs throughout this. David Manning was one of the main referees in world class. I wasn't familiar with him that much until I saw the documentary heroes of world class, but um, he was the Tommy young of world class championship wrestling, right? The match is a brawl fest. It is just like sloppy punches yeah. and bear hugs and uh, not a lot of like technical moves. There are some cross bodies. There are some kicks. There are, some splashes, but nothing too flashy. The first bout is won by the Freebirds when Terry Gordy pins David Von Erich with a crossbody after a quick tag by Roberts, like Roberts had been in the ring the whole time and then quickly tags without, obviously, David Von Erich seeing, so it was like a sneak attack. Look out, here's Gordy coming off flying with a tackling plant, And the Freebird strategy paid off as Robert tag Gordy going by after thrown over. Gordy came off the rope, diving on top and getting the pin. 
and this is interesting too, and we can talk about this, why, who gets pinned and whatnot. Um, yeah, Gordy pins David Von Erich, <laughs> and then there's like, they give him a short break, like a two, like a minute break. Match picks up again. Kerry Von Erich eventually gets in the ring, and he's wrestling Buddy, uh, Buddy Roberts. And Kerry Von Erich, with the help of David Von Erich, do like a clothesline. David's on the outside of the ring, Kerry's uh, on the inside of the ring, and they clothesline Buddy Roberts together, and they get the quick pin while Kevin Von Erich is putting the claw on uh, Terry Gordy in the other side of the ring. The claw being the Von Erichs like finishing maneuver. Now the Von Erichs return the favor. It's the pass go. A brawl ensues after this match. It's a full-on slobber knocker, as Jim Ross would say. And um, David Von- David Manning gets on the mic and he scolds both of them, both teams. It's hilarious. He like scolds them. He's like, "We're not going to have this. This is a championship match, and and you know I have no problem disqualifying both teams if I have to." And to help me out, I'm going to bring in Bronco Lubich. Come on, Eric, to draw David, but David Manning has the microphone. No, you listen up. This match is for the world title. It's tied up one ball apiece. There are rules in this match, and that means you tag it out. I'm not going to go for six men in this ring at one time. Any more outbursts like this? You can see who's protesting the most. That's fine with the Von Eric turned out to one to have to break the rule. Crowd goes wild. Bronco Lubich was a veteran wrestler turned referee for world class as well. And so now they've got two refs in the ring at the same time, which I had never really seen up until that point. I thought that was pretty cool. Eventually, as as the third fall commences, uh, David yeah. Manning gets knocked by Kevin Von Eric really hard and he falls out of the ring it's a pretty and, and he falls out of the ring pretty hard as well eventually in this melee muck kevin ends up uh pinning michael hayes with a crossbody to finish the match and uh the von erics win the championship and a big trophy by the way oh kevin reaches up and grabs hayes he's got a pin one two three The winners of the six-man World Tag Team Championship, Terry, Kevin, and David Von Erich. It's pandemonium in front of 12,000 streaming maniacs. The Freebirds' most prized possession has been taken away. Look out, Gordy is throwing a stairway into the ring. And now it is really getting wild. Well. Kevin Von Erich was down on the side of the ring, and he reached up and grabbed the Freebirds, causing him to fall, a move we've seen the Freebirds usually get away with before. David Manning came off the floor, gave us the count of three. And that's the end of the match. Mark Lawrence, like I said, was on commentary. Uh, most of the time, Bill Mercer was like the main guy at World Class, but Mark Lawrence, who went on to become a Baptist or Methodist minister, 
uh, has a very interesting way of talking, and he gets very animated, but he never goes above a six on the volume scale. It's uh, quite remarkable. Um, but this match, it's very similar to the Magnum TA Nikita match and the energy of the crowd. It is, it is fever pitched. Both teams come to the crowd through the crowd. They don't even have the entrance like we would see in the WWF at the time uh, or NWA uh, or you know, Mid-South. Um, they, they came through the crowd. Crowd was like pulling on them. You know, and, and it's it's like almost violent. You know, the Freebirds are making their way through the crowd and they look people in the crowd look so pissed off at them. Uh, and the Von Erics, every person, man, woman and child wants to hug and kiss them. And sometimes they did. And I'm not saying you should do that or not, but it's got to be careful because you never know. You never know. Anyways, uh, they come through the ring through that piece of string like <laughs> Paul had mentioned in a previous match. It's a wild setting and it's a wild yeah. match and it's a it's a it's just a full on brawl punch fest, but it's so much fun. I'll turn it over to you, Paul. What are your thoughts on this Freebird Von Erich match from July of '83? I mean, it's certainly a very very uh, historic and classic match. Just atmosphere alone, you know. I think um, I don't know if this was the start of their running shows at the cotton bowl texas stadium but the but the energy is electric throughout i think if anything you can really see just how big a you know the term rock stars applies to the von erics here because it's hard to say that you know one was more popular than the other i think each von eric definitely had their own set of fans but there was there was definitely something pretty uh pretty astronomical whenever Kerry would get in there. And I, I don't know that it was because he had, you know, the most chiseled biggest body and was the most tan and uh, whatever. But, you know, from, from what I can tell, it seemed like David was for the most part, the most accomplished in terms of being able to put together like a match and being the best professional wrestler of the bunch and one of the better uh, talkers of the group. And with what you had mentioned about them maybe not being the strongest promo guys, I I agree in the sense that they weren't the strongest in a traditional kind of professional wrestling promo sense. But I think what really added to their charm and, and made them so endearing was not just them being, you know, the local boys and the son of Fritz, who, you know, funny enough, Fritz was a big heel yeah. for a long time because he was, you know, like the German sympathizer and that's where like the iron claw kind of came from. Um, and he was just a, a dastardly villain, you know, in the territory. And so I think once it got out that he was kind of in charge of world class and was kind of the big Papa figure and now he's got these, these young boys and they're, you know, Texas born and raised and I've got those young boys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were destined to be over, you know, in a, in the, in the positive Bayface sense. And, you know, his promos weren't anything crazy yeah. either. I think what really helped these guys is that they talk, they were real. They talked real, you know, they, they really, they, they looked like guys that, you know, you're, you might've known on the, on the high school athletics teams or, guys you might have gone to high school with or college with um 
or been raised with, you know, that, that family of athletes, you know, so I think they were just very real and they spoke very real too. They weren't the smoothest um, in terms of how they spoke, but, but again, that added to just them being legit. They weren't putting on a character or a persona, so to speak. They were just honest, very honest and legit competitors and, and athletes. And I think, that's part of what really made them so hot in the territory for so long. And especially with the women and the young girls and crazy, they were just, it was fever pitch stuff, you know? So they could come in and, or just start fighting back or just grab a headlock or just, you know, anything that they would do would erupt no matter what point in the match. So I thought that was very clear here as it is in most of their matches. Um, and, you know, the, the Freebirds, amazing at getting heat. Say what you will about Michael Hayes. Uh, you know, he knew how to <clears throat> how to align his troops and how to execute and um, knew when to sell very well and knew when to sell kind of that chicken shit heel kind of way. And, I mean, the, the poofed up, overflowing <laughs> mullet kind of hair style that he i mean it, it was insane like it was like his mullet had a mullet like i didn't even understand it was insane it really looks like a lion's mane it does you know and he is so hairy guys he is so hairy like it's all good you know it's all good but he was so hairy and yet had these moves like he was uh, a stripper in magic mike and <laughs> i don't know i mean i'd be fascinated chime in everyone if you're interested, if, if you want, is that appealing to anyone? Like, I don't even back in 1983, was that appealing to see that man shaking his booty? I think it's a group called the bears. Yes. Um, oh boy. Yeah. I think it's very much a bear. He might've started the whole bear look. I'm not really sure. I mean, he definitely had his probably a fan club membership for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but you know, I've, yeah, I mean Terry Gordy too with his curly permed kind of slight mullet there. He kind of looked more like the the big caveman of the group, and he was always you know the enforcer and the muscle. And he was so he was very... big with that voice, and uh... <laughs> oh yeah, just just kind of you know like if Leatherface had turned babyface and hadn't grown up to be a a killer, he was just kind of this. I don't want to say simple, simple minded, but just very country, you know, very country Southern kind of boy. And um, that special strength to him, you know? <laughs> well, it reminds me of like, it, I don't know this. I'm sure this happened in a horror film, but you know, like the main a villain. Oh, it reminds me of in Mad Max Thunderdome. I think it is when, um, when like, or maybe it's the second one where the guy's helmet finally cracks open and he has like a baby looking face and you're like, Oh yeah. It's like a big behemoth. But then you, you look at his face and he's kind of a, he looks like a child. looks like a child. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of these elements, even Frankenstein's monster. There's just a lot of the elements of innocence uh, within his presentation that I thought worked. And I think that's why he, you know, was able to, kind of toe that line between baby face and and heel um 
because he never really came off as the mastermind behind everything. He always kind of came off as the enforcer and the muscle. And yeah, um, you know, that's where Michael Hayes and his brilliance of promo ability and, um, and selling and being a heel really came into play because he very much was the, the, the puppet master behind the, the free birds. And then you have like Buddy Roberts, who's just kind of weasel um, come in and get some shots when the guy's down or, scurry out when he's in trouble and you know it it works great as a as a three-person tandem you know like it's just it works really good you know you you've got kind of the the cunning dastardly brains you've got the the vicious muscle uh beat him up kind of guy and you've got the weaselly little bastard you know who um is probably not gonna make much of a difference in the match other than just to get in and add more heat so and the headgear thing was kind of funny enough that's kind of what he's most been kind of remembered for was that kind of period he had um, great hair i can't he had great hair yeah i can't even remember what he looked like when he had actual hair he he had like a like the um gorgeous george uh kind of hairstyle you know like the full-on bl- blonde to cut that off i wonder if he if there was some other underlying issue behind that maybe but man talk about talk about some gusto to do to to do a match like that with Iceman king parsons who was really over at the time too again we, we may cover one of his matches but man it's funny because Iceman king parsons was in the locker rooms when i was coming up in texas uh especially when i'd be up in like dallas arlington area he was kind of that old vet that would still be used here and there as like a manager and so that. he was always a very nice guy really and, cool uh, yeah it was neat it was neat he's one of the few guys out of that territory that um you know survived um sure. again but we will cover wrestlers from world class besides the von erickson the freebirds i'm sure down the future uh chris adams and, and gino hernandez perhaps and uh yeah. one man gang used to have a, a had a great rivalry with Kerry von Erich before he became uh, Hakeem and uh you know Rick Rude got a start down there too and, and I mean like Bruiser Brody Rob. yeah of course so many have gone through that era you know and gone through that territory I mean well we'll we'll talk about him here shortly yeah no doubt <laughs> no doubt um so so I think it's safe to say I'll be honest with you I was surprised at the outcome of this match in the sense that I was surprised that the Von Eriks won for one, but for two, the way the match went down. So like David Von Erich gets pinned first. It's interesting who gets pinned, right? Cause that's a, is, is that an important aspect of wrestling? Like getting pinned in a, I think it can be, it can definitely be part of the psychology of it where you're thinking, Oh my God, if David got pinned, like any, like we're in trouble. Yeah. You know, you would maybe think Kevin would be the most pinnable, you know, yeah. out of the three, I think. And so to pin, you know, sort of what would be deemed the unofficial captain off the first fall, um, we're in trouble. Yeah. You know, we're in trouble. And so, and that's, unfortunately, I think that's two out of three falls is difficult to put together because it it's it's going to be fairly no, i don't want to say predictable but you know 
a two out of three falls match. If it doesn't go three falls, it's going to be disappointing, right? Yeah. But then for it to go three falls, it's fairly predictable. Yeah. Um, it's like the NBA finals, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're thinking, well, the NBA is going to want to squeeze out some more ratings and TV out of this. They're going to start to make it to where this gets more evened out. Um, <laughs> for a two out of three match in wrestling, uh, it's always going to come down to one, one who's got the definitive fall in the third, you know? So oftentimes, yeah, it, it seems like the heels will take that first fall and yeah, they struck first, you know, and that kind of thing. And then it's like the, the baby faces will, will fight back and either catch a flash pin on that second one or, or have a real definitive second fall. And then it's, the everything will be odds would be against them in the third fall and they'll eke it out and you know whatever or the heels will really do something very underhanded and cheating and pull out that third victory and so i think i'm surprised you were surprised that you were surprised that the von erics wouldn't win on fourth of july weekend at the cotton bowl Come on, you think they really wanted a riot? I guess I'm just Bowl if the heels from Georgia came in there with their bars and stars and walked out with the victory, that ain't gonna happen. Well, I just I guess I'm more surprised. Like I guess I'm so used to, maybe I'm accustomed to watching so many um swerve jobs in NWA in the late eighties, you know, dusty finishes basically, and uh some sort of run in. So ultimately I'm like on the edge of my seat cheering for the Von Erics the whole time because they they look like dudes you want to have a beer with. They do. They look like nice kids. They were like they were hair metal, like, or like rock hair, rock guys without the rock ability. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And David, David, you know, David was, yeah. he was tapped to be, he was going to win the world title against flair, uh, which Carrie ended up winning. Yeah. I, th- I think the year later and you know, of all the guys, he seemed, yeah, maybe he was the most over because he had this attitude. He looked like he'd be on Yellowstone uh, with, yeah. you know, and and he had a future. Uh, it was either earlier this year or later this year. We're, we're going to cover it. But uh, he had a program with uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin where valet for a day at match. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the promos leading up to that or pro- post that are, are gold. Um Sunshine. With sunshine, yeah. Yeah. All that good stuff. <laughs> Before we get to your match, I just want to run down a few things from 83 that stood out to me. And we we talked about 83 last episode. And it's so funny because uh Paul, you know, Paul will go into this deep, like, oh, I gotta I gotta find all these facts, you know? And I'm like, dude, it's just 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 three, just three. And, uh, but he said, but this is really good. And this is really good. But I had found some facts from 83 in the last episode. I'm like, I want to share these kind of like the Metallica album that came out of 83. Yeah. Pirates of Penzance came out in July of 83. <laughs> uh, I, I only bring that up that the movie had Kevin Klein, Linda Ronstadt and Angela Lansbury in it. Uh, it was a popular wow. musical on Broadway and, um, Barry Bostwick played the lead on Broadway. Barry Bostwick played the lead to, uh, he played uh, Danny Zucco in Greece, and then that movie was made with John Travolta, of course. And so I'm like, wait, he had two movies. He was on two Broadway shows that he should have been the lead in because he was great. In fact, 
The inspiration for his Ace Hunter character in Megaforce came from the Pirates of Penzance when Hal Needham, the director, saw the show with his wife in L.A., and she said, you know, he, he, he's your ace right there, basically. He, he can tell more of the story in, the, in our episode that we did with him. Go back to our earlier episodes for that. Uh, but Pirates of Penzance. Did you ever see Pirates of Penzance? No, but I definitely saw Megaforce. I know you did. Uh, no, I, I know of Pirates of Penzance, but I never saw it. Uh, I guess I should go back and check it no, out. No, you don't need to. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting. It just stood out to me because I'm like, Oh, this is this is interesting. Another movie yet again that he probably should have played the lead in, but he didn't. So, uh, you know, but now he sells his now, underwear at conventions. Think of Angela Lansbury. I always think of Murder, She Wrote. Um, of course. This would have been before Murder, She Wrote, obviously, right? Yes, probably. 83. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Maybe I will check it. I like Kevin Klein. you know? No, you, you, there's there's other movies you can see. <laughs> <laughs> Paul and I are going to get together. We're going to watch uh, Empire Films. Empire Films. The best That's Empire right. Films. Uh, July of 83, Mario Brothers was first released in Nintendo uh, by Nintendo in Japan. In Japan That's for the first time. It's the beginning of what clearly, I'd say, the most iconic video game character of all time, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? I would agree. Um, yeah. I did not see the latest movie. That's fine. I vaguely remember the the original with Liguizamo and all that. That was that was trash. Wasn't Lance Henriksen in that movie as well? I think Lance Henriksen was like no, it was Hooper. Dennis Hopper. It was Dennis Hopper, wasn't it? Looking a little bit like Lance Henriksen though. Oh, oh maybe I'm thinking Double Dragon. No, that was Robert Patrick. That was Robert Patrick. Lance Henriksen was in one of those. I swear he was. He was in the right. um, elevator action movie. No, I'm kidding. Ele- that would have been badass, dude. Elevator action movie? Really? Elevator? Well, I'd watch yeah. that. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch a Burger Time. Ooh. <laughs> burger Time. Yeah. Well, you know, at one point they were going to make a Spy Hunter video game uh, movie with The Rock attached to it. I'm so glad they did. Me too. Uh, Me too. Keep him away from all of our treasured franchises, yes. please. Then they were going to go with Jason Statham. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would have accepted that more. Come on. I would have been okay with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mario Brothers. Now, when you first started playing Mario Brothers for the NES, did you do like my brothers and I did, where whenever you'd have the remote and you would want to jump, you'd like lift the remote of too? <laughs> You'd press the button and like lift the remote, thinking that that would do it. And yeah, it was strange. It was one of those early tests of hand eye coordination that you would fail not knowing why. <laughs> it reminds but... me of with my son because I, I, I was uh, when I introduced video games to him for the first time, and he was doing the whole thing too. Like, oh, and my wife is like, You're not, it's okay, Bodie, you don't have to move, you don't have to move. <laughs> <laughs> he just pressed the button. He's moving with the whole thing, the whole screen, you know. That's good, though. That's good. I think you know it, it creates some some early movement in children. It's fun. You know, you're talking about uh, the Mario Brother movie, the the one with Leguizamo. The the cartoon was decent with uh, Captain Lou Albano back in the day, um, right? But there's so many mo- video games that could be made into movies. Like Gauntlet would have been really good, I think, or. Yeah. 
Castlevania. Castlevania would be dope. I know they did a Ghost and Goblins. Ghost and Goblins, come on. Right. Altered Beasts. Altered Beasts, yeah. I heard a rumor that they're gonna do an altered beast movie. Sega's you know, cause Sega Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Anyways. But then you look at so many movies that are made from video games and they're terrible. Yeah, and the Mario they're... Brother movie's good. Uh it's a good kids movie, you know, I think in a nostalgic movie for adults. Um they did that one right, and it's ninety minutes. Did you ask Brian Thompson about Mortal Kombat Annihilation? One of the most unwatchable video game film sequels ever. I sure did. He he did not have the most positive experience making that movie. However, Shao Kahn, I think that's his character's name. Yeah. He, I think he holds that character fondly. I think he enjoys that character. Um, I don't think he enjoyed the experience of making the movie. Man, the first Mortal Kombat movie is not good. Let's be honest. It's not. We're also learning about CGI, like early 90s, 90s CGI is brutal. It's brutal. Right? I mean, it's like cut and paste. But you cast Chris, I love Chris Lambert. You cast him as uh, Raiden. Raiden. Like, that's not, that's not Raiden. And then, wait, Raiden in the sequel is James Remar, I think. Yeah, it is. And I don't know why you wouldn't cast Jean-Claude himself as Johnny Cage. I know. As that. That would have been perfect, but yeah, I think they. to say we're veering off because sorry, then we'll end up in Street Fighter Two realm, and that's the whole other debacle. It is a debacle. I'll I'll button up eighty three really quick with um the, the end of the month of eighty three, Friday night videos premiered on NBC. Tonight on Friday Night Videos, brand new videos from Billy Joel and Cheap Trick, Def Leppard, John Cougar, Madness, a video vote between Robert Plant and ZZ Top, with a free Friday Night Videos t-shirt given away every 15 seconds during the voting, classic videos from Tom Petty and Santana, a private reel on Loverboy, plus Elvis Costello, Peter Schilling, Peter Gabriel, Olivia Newton-John and the Pretenders. Friday Night Videos. Um, it was created by Dick Ebersol, who produced the Midnight Special back in the day, which was a cool music show. But the early inception of this show featured wrestlers as well. I think that's where the rock, uh, uh, rock and wrestling connection started with Hogan wow. and Lopper. But some of the interesting... I'm just going to throw out a few of the interesting co-hosts of uh, Friday Night Videos. Back in the day, you had people like Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito, which makes sense, right? Terry Garr and Carol Kane, which I think is pretty awesome. Then you've got the cast of Kate and Alley, which I think is awesome. Uh, then you've got Marv Albert and Joe Piscopo. <laughs> Joe, can I bite you? <laughs> Piscopo is awesome and sidekicks. Sidekicks and dead heat, dude. Yeah, and Dead Heat's uh, big underrated. Dead Heat's fantastic. Uh, Treat Williams. Treat Williams. People would be like, these are all Key West, Dead Heat. This is stuff you talk about on Podcasting After Dark. It's true. My other show, Podcasting After Dark. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then you had uh, Savage and Elizabeth, Mean Gene and Jesse Ventura. What was the premise of this show? It was, you said video. 
it was basically like MTV before MTV, you know, um, they, they would show music videos. Well, it was at the same time. Okay. They would do bits. They'd have uh, like, you know, they'd have a little skits and, but it was a music based program um, that ran for quite a few years, actually ran till, well, looks like May of 2002. I think it was in, re- no, that can't be right. The initial run went from 83 yeah, to 2002 and just different different variations of it. But I remember watching it in the 80s. Did you watch Friday Night Videos in the 80s? I do not believe so. I mean, I would have been... You were, you were a little guy. Uh, three years old when the match that you picked was was out and about. Um, so You mean you I weren't think... a latchkey kid sitting in front of a TV 24-7 like me? <clears throat> yeah, three years old? I, don't, I think I was more concerned with taking care of the fireworks in my diaper uh i'm not really sure Boom. maybe i wasn't even wearing one by then i'm not sure i i really have no recollection of myself at three that's a but good i was thing. not watching tv from what i can remember um well i will tell you that the 90 minute show because it ran for 90 minutes was from 83 to 87 and then a 60 minute one went from 87 to 2002 so, okay um you know it was so football guy wasn't he like a football yeah guy he was all over the place he was he uh but he co-created midnight special with bert sugarman that was the other guy um but yeah he was he was the nbc go-to guy back in the day you know and i think he was the one who helped get saturday night's main events uh launched as well oh wow well thank you mr ebersole yeah thank you mr ebersole and thank you 1983 1983 <laughs> I want to really uh, rough segue into your match simply by saying that uh, I'm going to play a clip of the intro music that this entire 50 minute like pay-per-view or whatever this was had. It had great intro music. So I'm going to hit that and then you get into your match. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Paul, tee us up. What 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 are we what are we talking about today? Oh, uh, we're we're getting more heat here, and all you know, feel the heat. Possibly, I want to believe in the same stadium, uh, roughly just under, well, just over four years later. Um, we'll notice a sizable difference in attendance. Oh boy, no kidding. Um, we're still with world-class championship wrestling and oddly enough, it, you know, it seems to coincide with um, a recent passing not too long ago of the Iron Sheik. Yeah. The, Rest in the peace. historic Iron Sheik. Um, so Mr. Uh, Break Your Back, um, uh, all the heat and all the stuff that he's said about Hogan and other wrestlers and uh, things. I'm not sure we can even say on Spotify. I mean, we probably could, but if my son's like, yeah. I want to listen to my birthday episode. No. Uh, yeah. He was, we'll keep it PG to G. Well, I will, I will say really quickly. I think a lot of uh, new wrestling fans know of Sheik from his recent stuff. 
going on Twitter and whatever. But this is right. this is eighty seven chic, which was a whole different kind of chic, right? Right, right. This is uh, before we would see him later on as a manager uh, in WWF. Um, you know, I believe he came on board as like Karl Mustafa or something kind of later on. And yeah, so, you know, I thought, well, this is appropriate. We'll have Iron Sheik who had massive heat as, uh, you know, being this villain from Iran. Um, and he'd always have a big Iranian flag out with him. And funny enough, it was his opponent that I was, well, that I've always been a fan of. But I thought, well, let me see if I can find some matches of his, which then obviously sent me back to Portland. And I thought, well, my last match with Kurt Hennig uh, was a Portland match. Let me get out of Portland. It's maniac Matt Bourne, who most people would probably recognize as the original doink. Um, I remember him as Big Josh from WCW. Oh, yeah. When you mentioned Big Josh, it was like, yeah, that's that's it. Mr. Axe Handle. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Matt Osborne, he's uh, one of the one of the toughest brawler types to come out of the Northwest territories. Um, He wrestled as Maniac Matt Bourne. He was really a heel for most of his career, it seemed, you know, like he was always um, because he wasn't really the most technically proficient, even though he he definitely knew how to wrestle and had good technique. Um, But he was more of a brawler. I mean, he was always billed as around 260 and around six feet, you know, so like, I mean, he's a bowling ball of a guy and Sheik was you know, no, no dainty flower himself. I mean, he was pretty thick. He kind of had like that muscle gut. Um, I mean, he's like, he's like a tire, you know, like, so did you ever see bad Lieutenant, by the way, did you ever see bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel? Oh, long time ago. No, I, I can't remember it too much, but I remember he's just being a slob. Yeah. He's standing there with his naked crying. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Oh, he's got iron Sheik's body. <laughs> Yeah, oh God. <laughs> it's so true. Anyway, sorry. Well, I remember. I mean, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, same commentator was that Mark Lawrence. Mark not Lawrence, Matthew Lawrence, or Joey Lawrence? No, not not like the Lawrence brother. brothers that you worked with recently in in your lifetime film. Whoa, what's the name of that movie again? Your name, Baby Snatcher. Yeah, my best friend, the baby. My snatcher. best friend, the baby snatcher, starring Paul London. But I believe Matt Bourne comes out to Born in the USA. Uh, I mean, that's cool. A, that's cool. Yeah, he's got the big waving American flag, uh, and he's a baby face. So that was something I thought was very interesting about this show. Yeah, uh, it took place in October seventeenth of nineteen eighty-seven, Texas Cotton Bowl. From Tehran, Iran. As the Sheik now is saying something about standing up, 
Now he's going over to John Roberts, the announcer. The Iron Sheik has requested that we all rise and join in his singing of the Iranian national anthem. Oh my, this is not going over well with the fans. Let's see if we can pick up what he's saying. As here he comes, Maniac Melbourne coming through the mobs with the beautiful American flag, the stars and stripes have been brought to the ring by Maniac Melbourne, and this crowd of better than 10,000 fans leaps to its feet. The Sheik doesn't know exactly what to do. Response to Maniac Matt Bourne versus that of the Iron Sheik from this crowd. And listen to the chants. USA ringing through the cotton ball as the stars and stripes of all glory flap gently in the Texas breeze. They keep saying up and down that there's 10,000 strong here, but We'll let you decide for yourself when you see the match. Yeah, but by the way, in my match, Mark Lawrence is going, there's people still coming in the arena right now. And you're like, this is the main event, right, dude? <laughs> and then and then your match, he's like, there's 10,000 strong. And I'm looking at the arena. I'm like, there's people. It's so sparse. It's so sparse. Yeah, I don't know if there's 1,000 strong. I mean, it's... But And what, it's by so the bad. way, what's up with people who... Well, my seat says C seventeen, and I'm section one hundred eight. And you're like, you're in the back corner of the arena. You can move <laughs> up. Yeah, it's like the old Clippers games. You know what I mean? Like you like, can go to the LA, well, LA rules are rules. Arena. Rules are rules. They would actually tell the fans to come down further, come down, fill in the seats for, better for camera. I would have loved to hear Mark Lawrence. If ever, if everyone can hear me, come closer to the ring. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, yeah. I mean, anytime you're in the heart of Texas, which, you know, let's maybe not the heart. I mean, I like to say Austin's the heart of Texas. It really is. But up here, just north of Dallas, Fort Worth area, uh, where the Cotton Bowl is, Texas Stadium, that's pretty damn Texas. Like you're at the, at the, the cusp of the, uh, panhandle we start going upwards farther farther north up towards amarillo um which is where a lot of my family is uh it's funny matt Bourne reminds me a lot of my um recently passed uncle johnny they had very similar uh kind of sense of humor it seemed um similar kind of body shape burly um and I, it just it just struck me as I was watching it earlier. I was like, man, he looks kind of reminds me of Uncle Johnny. That's cool. Red That's cool. Um, so that you know, but again, you see Matt Bourne as a babyface here. Um, makes a big thing on the microphone, like you don't know what country you're in. You're in the great USA, and tries to start a, a rather lousy USA chant. Yeah. Um, and then you know, chic not to be um shown up by any means goes out and gets on the mic and starts to say you know you know something nasty about the people and Matt Bourne just smacks him upside the bald head 
um, which brings him into the ring. And similar to your match, I mean, these are both brawlers. Yep. One of the things I thought was interesting was that throughout the match, as Sheik would get advantages, um, his his boots were referred to as the rhino horn, rhino horn style boots. Yeah. And I always thought, yeah, those curly little hooks on his boots. You know, I never heard of them referred to as the rhinoceros horn boots. Me, me neither. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that or one of those beetles that has the, I don't know, even know what those beetles are called. You know what I'm talking about? I the do. That, I, I, are uh, those called rhino horn beetles? I don't know. Maybe. They might be rhino beetles. I don't know. I always thought those boots looked really uncomfortable to wear, though. I agree. I mean, they always they always bothered me, you know? So, like, when you can get heel, like, heel heat for your boots alone, <laughs> um, no wonder you're just a brawler. Like, you don't have to do much else, no. you know? And you look kind of just gross with your belly. I, but, like... <laughs> mean and dashed like i wouldn't want this guy anywhere near me you know right. like he just drips heelism uh and you know it just continues to brawl throughout the match uh, i'm trying to think of like some other things that i had on here there's a there's an interesting point i couldn't tell if this was like a no dq match yeah or what the deal was because there's a point midway to kind of later on where um matt Bourne starts fighting back from underneath he's the baby face yeah. right big right and then he gives just like a real blatant shot to the nuts <laughs> to the chic to the huge pop of the uh the not ten thousand strong the crowd buys it they love it but it's like literally right in front of the referee and i'm sitting there the referee kind of does this like oh well like kind of look on his face and i thought is this no dq like what is going on here i don't remember them saying that uh, but it might have just been because of all the heat, the tremendous heat that the Sheik was getting. Um, but yeah, Matt Bourne's dressed in kind of these camo pants, and he's kind of he kind of has uh, night combat paint or something, kind of like slathered through on him. He looks like he just got done like a mud match or something. I mean, you're being generous. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he looks like he got done like changing the oil on like both their cars. I'm not really sure. It's like yeah military camo paint that you just kind of slather on your body i don't know it, it, it looked a little bit like that i'm like did he just come out of the sewer uh what <laughs> well i fixed your uh, i fixed your uh, septic tank i had to go in there but i fixed it okay i don't know what you put down there mr shake but i wouldn't recommend doing it again certainly don't want to flush that twice did you have some chicken shawarma down there what's going on <laughs> It is Lambos, Lambos. <laughs> yeah. um, I stretch you, break your back, Mister Maniac. I mean, he's Sheik is brutal in this. Like he can, he you feel his hits. You feel when he just like he's sitting on you, or you know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And for an outside match, I mean, you could tell it was still fairly warm outside, even though it's ten. You know, it's uh, October. Yeah. Um. So it, you know. The outside matches are always interesting to me. They're always fun because having been in outside matches during the summertime, not so much in October, um, maybe I have in October. It's usually pretty nice. You're still going to work up quite a sweat, but thinking back to the match that you covered in July, when that ring is sitting out all day 
in the Texas heat, especially during the summertime, you get bumped on that mat. It's hot. Like it's, it, it's, we usually liken it to like a frying pan. Oof. Um, especially if you end up in one of these shows that has kind of a vinyl mat instead of the canvas, yeah. the canvas will absorb the heat a little better and it won't be so uh, singy on your back, but it can get pretty damn hot. They ended up doing like a double tackle, which sent them outside and towards the end of the match. Uh, and this is where I thought, okay, this is definitely not a DQ match or is it? Because yeah. Matt Bourne just suddenly picks up a chair and just wallops the sheik in the back. Uh, and I thought, I guess this is no DQ, but then the sheik picks up a folding chair, can't fold it. Uh, so he, instead of like just throwing it down, he can't fold the chair. So he ends up just like hitting Matt Bourne in the back with the open chair, like right in the back in a very painful looking way that I'm pretty sure would have pissed him off or did piss him off. Um, then they both try to like kind of slither crawl back into the ring to where the bell rings. And I, then I'm thinking, well, they weren't out long enough no. for it to be a count out. Like, what, what is happening here? And I still couldn't quite understand or hear an official ruling of what the match was. It just kind of seemed to get thrown out. Yeah. Bald man days now at this brutal confrontation out of ringside. The bell is sounding. As John Keaton, though, is unable to separate these two. They're still at it. Ring the bell again, he says. Bourne charges in the corner of the Sheik out of the way. Bourne hits that iron post. Look out, the Sheik is doing something with that boot. There he comes with a kick, knocking Bourne off his feet. The match is over, but it's looking bad for Matt Bourne. He's asking for the Iranian flag. The fans really hate this. The Sheik has the Iranian flag to cover Bourne, and Bourne will have none of it. Bourne with a drop kick. Sheik comes back for the ride. Bourne ducks, picks him up, turns him around, drops him over the knee. 10,000 fans roll for Matt Bourne, who grabs the American flag. And even though we were unable to see a winner, we have seen Matt Bourne but either way i think it's to me it was very interesting because i think sheik always gets associated with hulk hogan yeah people think he never wrestled anyone other than hulk hogan <laughs> or bob backland right um so it was just very interesting to see and also it's like Sheik only wrestled in the northeast or only wrestled in madison square garden no like i didn't even know he had appeared at world class before you know um much less i had no idea that matt Bourne was a baby face yeah. in world class I mean, he first kind of appeared on the scene he was a heel and you know i know that he had done territories outside of portland and but he was mostly a portland guy and to everyone's knowledge she would basically have been kind of a northeast wwf kind of guy so i just thought it was a neat a neat thing to witness these two guys um known for being elsewhere they're here in texas at the cotton bowl not ten thousand strong uh viewer check you know decide for yourself 
but yeah, seeing Matt Bourne uh, a good uh, five years before Doink would come onto the scene, probably a good three to four, four and a half years before Big Josh. Uh, and you're saying, did you have the Big Josh action figure? I did not have the Big Josh action figure. It escaped me. Uh, the You know, Galoob made Big Josh figures. But if you go on eBay, you can find a Big Josh action figure. Oh, wow. He comes with that big axe handle and chops down opponents. Just the axe handle, not the whole axe. Yes, yes. And, and I just want to list his stats on here. Big Josh, Lumberjack. Height, six foot one, weight 275, from Mill City, Oregon. His favorite hold, the double axe handle. A real former lumberjack, Big Josh won all around lumberjack honors four times before turning to wrestling. <laughs> sounds really legit. Yeah, it sounds legit. Yeah, so I, I liked Big Josh in WCW. He was there for, as, uh, as, as I like to say, a cup of coffee. Um, wasn't there very long, but this, you're talking about the fourth cotton bowl extravaganza. <laughs> there it is. Extravaganza. Did they do, so is this the fourth annual? Um, and it had four matches on it, but at least on this, uh, on this video, the clip that the one we have in our show notes that you guys can watch. Uh, the first match was, uh, Mil Mascaris was one of the main wrestlers in it. Third match was Eric Embry versus Sean Simpson. And the final match was Al Perez versus Kevin Von Erich. Al Perez was the world-class world heavyweight champion. I don't know about world twice. Sounds kind of weird to me. This match was, I was not familiar with Matt Bourne outside of Big Josh and Doink the Clown. I didn't really like Doink the Clown. I didn't like that gimmick. This was it. Oh, I love Doink the Clown. Bad guy Doink was great. Well, okay. I like the bad guy Doink. This was a time when I was not watching wrestling as as much and i think i was focusing i was like focusing more on wcw but still kind of wavering back and forth I'm like the cartoon component was kind of frustrating me um yeah. and so i was not a huge fan of doink uh but i really like this maniac matt bourne and i wrote in my notes matt maniac matt bourne greater than <clears throat> hacksaw jim duggan um i mean You've seen the standoff that they've had at an independent show. Did you see that match? No. It was like they there's some clip out there. I can't remember when it was. Now sadly, I I want to say Matt Bourne passed away in 2013, maybe. Hmm. Um, but there's somewhere there's a match where, you know, after Doink, he would go on like apparently I think from what I understand, he got let go by WWE. WWF uh, due to constant um, drug infractions. Um, he then showed up at ECW also for a cup of coffee. as uh, kind of doing a mangled doink kind of character. Pre-Heath Ledger's Joker smeared face paint, but something cool. akin to that. So um, Sting ripped that off. <laughs> in, in yeah. Yeah, like a good 10 years after that movie. I wonder if anyone's seen this. Um, it's showtime. It's so fresh. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I'm tired of doing Jim Carrey's The Mask. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, anyway. But yeah, so there's a there's a clip somewhere out there of him and Hacksaw having... And they were in a faction together, I want to say in Memphis. Oh, really? 
I can't quite remember who else was in that group off the top of my head. Um, but anyways, they had some quarrel. They had some issue in the match, and they they stopped working together, and they're like, you want to shoot? You want to shoot, brother? And, like, they're like, it looks like they're about to actually, it looks like it turns into a shoot. Whoa. It's kind of fun. Well, Hacksaw, Hacksaw was a total badass before he came to the WWF, and much like the the Bushwhackers too. I I, I want to dig into those matches, the the Sheep Herders, sure. and um, when these guys were, you know, Ted DiBiase, same deal. Like these guys were sure. were when on the on the territory scene, totally different persona or more badass persona. Um, Matt Bourne. Harry. He sold me in this match. I loved it. I loved seeing Sheik. Uh, rest in peace to Sheiky baby. Um, I think he. My fun fact: my my cousin through marriage uh, is was Sheik's chiropractor in Hawaii for a little while. So, uh, and he says Sheik was nothing but the nicest guy. He was just the sweetest man to him. And I'm like, of course he was, because you were adjusting his body. So, uh, uh, you better be <laughs> nice. Tire. That seems like such like what a chiropractor. And this guy, uh, Keone, he's he's you know he's a lean, he's a tall guy, but he's pretty lean. And I'm like, man, that's a barrel of a man that you're having to adjust there. Seriously, right? <laughs> that's like a, a walking dog toy, right? What the one of the things that you brought up that stood out to me in this match was um, <laughs> walking dog toy. It's hilarious. Um, was the chair shots that they gave each other at the end. And because Mark Lawrence is like, he's he's not folding the chair or something like that. He's using a unfolded right. chair. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's really stiff and looks very painful. Um, right. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the match ad, ad, ad ended kind of funky uh, with with Sheik, you know, trying to put his flag on top of Matt Bourne. But it, yeah. it reminded me of uh, Hacksaw matches. But like if Hacksaw wasn't as silly, you know, and I thought if this if I, I would see I would watch this more regularly than sure. I would Hacksaw Jim Duggan um, with his crossed yeah. eyed and his tongue sticking out like Matt, right, Matt right, Bourne looked right. cool. He looked cool, even though he's covered in filth. Um, I, I dug his character. Yeah, he I mean, and in his earlier stuff around this time or before even when he was really the maniac, even though he was also billed as the maniac here, even though he was baby face. Who doesn't love a baby face maniac? Hey, Johnny, um, do you like maniacs? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you like uh, grown men who collect uh, uh, mannequin doll heads in their in their bedrooms and uh, like the scalp people? What? Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That was a shout out to Bill Lustig. Yeah. And Joe Spinell. I liked the Elijah Wood version. I actually liked that I version. I'll check it out. Yeah, Alexander Aja. Uh, yeah, he kicks out of the flag, the Iranian. You're not putting an Iranian flag on me, brother. I'm American. And this was billed as the Matt meets the Iranian invasion match. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one invasion. A one-person invasion. Hey. Didn't work. I mean, he's got the big swing and a miss, big atomic drop, and out he goes. Leave uh, old beautiful, as they call it. Or what do you refer to the flag in this? Old, I think old beautiful. Old beautiful, yeah. Maybe the flag and it it waves high and supreme on this October day in 1987. So I really had a hard time with the people that were so far away that should have just moved up. I'm like, 
I agree. Like, come on, people. And it was like, there's a thousand at least on the floor here. I was like, ah. maybe 500, maybe. Yeah, man. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark Lawrence is like, I'm up in the, the announcer's booth. And I'm like, yeah, you can that. are you watching <laughs> it with binoculars, dude? Because that's really far away. Yeah. I mean, sadly, it seems like this, this was a, during a bit of a downturn for world class. Um, you know, they had already lost David Von Eric, uh, sadly, a few years before. There have been some other issues, I think, with Chris Adams having a public arrest. Um, yeah. And there was something, I think, that had happened with Kerry as well. Uh, Kerry, of course, lost his foot in a motorcycle accident. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think if that was... I think that might have been after this. I'm not exactly sure when it was that he lost his foot. Because um, yeah, he he joined the WWF around the time that Flair joined. I think that was around 90, 91 that he joined WWF. Yeah. Uh, right. Because he was definitely there in 92 and wasn't there too long after. Um, but, yeah. I mean, this was... This was kind of a, a rough patch for world class. It's it's very much a difference in audience energy and excitement in this match. Not saying it's not there. It's definitely still it's there. It's still there, yeah. Very, very, very different than in the match that you chose, you know, which was just about four years prior. So when you hear the crowd in in the eighty three match, it, it all sounds like one big wave, right? And then in this yeah. one you can hear individual people yelling out certain things because Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Dude, I love maniacs. Right. Again, I highly recommend the uh, Heroes of World Class doc, uh, and that's in our show notes because um it really covers it's exhaustive. It covers from it essentially the the 80s inception on and it it talks about it talks about these rough patches um you know in great detail with with guys like gary hart you know gary hart is a genius i think in my opinion and a promo master at generating heat and um he's on it exhaustively mark mark lawrence is on it as well so right anyways check that out no, it's great. I love that documentary. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I think it's running, what, three and a half, four hours, maybe five hours? It's, it's... really long. Yeah, you can watch it in spurts uh, because, honestly, by the end the end of it, you'll be depressed if you watch it all in yeah. one, which I did yes. twice. Have a chaser. Definitely have a chaser when you watch it. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought this match. You always bring so many cool, unique matches. You really do. Like your 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 perspective is so different from mine obviously <laughs> um but i love it because i feel like was it coincidental that you pulled a world-class match or were you like oh i'll just pull this and it kind of was coincidental cool. uh originally i was about to select uh matt Bourne and chris adams from the year before from like a july 86 match where chris adams had the world championship and it was the main event and it was a non-title match um but you know i just happened to think ah there needs to be a little bit more gusto to this and there was and that was a very headlock heavy match um even though i you know i enjoyed chris adams work 
I I still felt that that coupled with you know the recent passing of Shiki Baby, uh, it just seemed more appropriate. But it just happened to be in World Class Championship Wrestling. So yeah, it, this is a nice you know th- this episode we're recording and airing after Sheik had just passed away. So it's perfect to shot make a tribute to a guy who. You know, when people think of wrestling and they, they you show them a photo, you're like, what do you think this guy does for a living? What do you think? Oh, firefighter. How about how about her? Oh, uh, <laughs> doctor. How about this guy? Wrestler. It's got to be a wrestler, right? No, he actually works at the Jamba Juice up the street. How dare you? <laughs> I guess for both these guys, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean... Matt Bourne, I would totally trust working on my car. However, I think after I come out to my car, after he worked on it, I feel like all the pieces would be taken apart. And he's like, I found the problem. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that or you would definitely want him to be clearing the, the forest out, you know, dead wood so that it would avoid those future fires. Well, he, he is a lumberjack. He It says it on his on his big Josh he card. Many lumberjack awards. You know, I never understood why, you know, do you think that they made him just have the the axe handle to avoid it influencing kids to want to play with axes? Yes. Oh, God. You know, like, it, I mean, obviously, it's easier to travel what you can't, you know, just travel with a long stick or something, put it in your carry on. You know, I don't know what the rules are to traveling with an actual axe, but uh, Jim Duggan, did he must have traveled with a two by four, right? Which is. I mean, I guess, yeah, I would think so. Or a lot of times they would put that on the the, the truck, the ring truck. Okay, like yeah. they would put these gimmicks that, you know, you weren't, weren't trusty to fly with. They would just kind of throw them on the ring truck and they would travel with it that way. So, but well, an axe handle, yeah. <laughs> Big Josh. Shout out to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, shout out to our brethren up in Oregon and in Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got any fun facts? Fun facts, yeah. Uh, probably too many again, but <laughs> well, I end up editing the... them out anyway. So. <laughs> and because I, I, I don't want you, to, I don't want you to blow your load. Um, oh well, there's lots of load to blow here, so you know that's that's what happens when you're you're big Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the number one movie at the box office was Fatal Attraction in October of '87. In October of 87, that's right. Uh, number three at the box office was Princess Bride. Okay. I think we've talked about it, the, the fact that it had a terrible soundtrack. Yeah, and oddly enough, right? Um, and I think it was one of those films that definitely hit much bigger later on in its time yes. than initially. Um, Dirty Dancing was just after it, uh, followed by three near and dear favorites of mine, Um Prince of Darkness, Hellraiser, and Near Dark were also up there on the on the box office list at the time. Um, Prince of Darkness is my all time favorite John Carpenter movie. Is it really? Yep i've I've seen that movie more times than any other JC film. I saw it actually at the church that they filmed it in, which is now a wow. Japanese um, cultural like event center kind of thing in downtown LA. Is it part of Little Tokyo? Um, it, it's not far from Little Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. And and is that being like this is with the church? And I thought, oh, oh yeah, the extras on the on the Blu-ray or whatever DVD. Yeah. Yeah, it's my all-time favorite John Carpenter movie. It's the best. That's interesting. That's so cool. It's a nice, uh, 
nice chance to see Dr. Loomis in a different different way, kind of. You know, it's our time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did the, he's your he's ours, not yours. That's pretty good. Dude, settle down. I know religion is your I get it. I just love it. You see Jameson Parker with his, you know, beautiful mustache. Uh Lisa Blount, rest in peace, who just like her her that end scene where she charges like she has to make that decision. Does she do this? Does she end her life? Oh my gosh, it's so intense. It is. It's definitely an overlooked Carpenter film, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, yeah. Everyone should check out Prince of Darkness, by the way. I broke it down for podcasting after dark. So they should. And speaking of, they should also check out Near Dark, co-starring our, one of our favorites, Tim Thomerson. Yep. Uh, in a very kind of minor role, but he's the father. He's the father. Yeah, he's the father to uh, Caleb. Adrian Pazdar. Adrian Pazdar, that's right. He had married one of the Dixie chicks, I think, later on in life. He was a parent at my school when I was a teacher. Was he really? Yeah, I'm like, oh, dude, can we talk about Near Dark? No dude, way. He was, a, he was a school teacher? Yeah. Was he? Wow. <laughs> uh, that, that movie, Near Dark, uh, by the way, has a soundtrack by Tangerine Dream, which is great. Oh, great. And then um, yeah. uh, I was at a Fangoria convention years ago where Lance Henriksen was there. And oh, wow. he told a story about how he was in full makeup with Bill Paxton and they got pulled over by a cop. Oh, I love this story. And the, the window went down and the cop approaches them and asks for their ID. And Lance just like is steel eyed and gives him the he's in character. You know, is there a problem, officer? And the officer like looks around. There's no one on the street, and just goes, gives him back the ID, and he goes, "You have a nice day, sir." Yeah, he said he looked at him like he wanted to eat him. Yes, or something, right? Yep. And it scared the shit out of him. I love that. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, it's a great cast. They've got you know, at least three cast members fresh off Aliens, right? I think so. Um, Jeanette Goldstein is the is who played Vasquez and aliens is in it too. Wow. And plays uh, the, the older woman in the group and Lance Henriksen and, and Bill Paxton. Yeah. Bill Paxton. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a classic near dark. It's definitely one of the best uh, vampire films. Definitely the best vampire Western film. Oh, no um, doubt. So you mean it's better than John Carpenter's vampires? <clears throat> Well, no, uh, I mean, I do like John Carpenter's Vampires for the Terry Silver factor. Me too. But you know what I mean? it's, so, yeah. it's not that great. No, 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 no. Um, Sorry. Earlier in the year, in April, funny enough, two days after my seventh birthday, uh, G.I. Joe the movie had aired. And On TV? So that, yeah, I loved it. That was like a two-part, I think it was a two- or three-part series. Um Amazing, right? This is the first time you saw blood looking at G.I. Joe. It is a trip to think about G.I. Joe, the movie coming out in 87, because I think the series, that was supposed to be the finale of the series. Right. But then they greenlit one more season, which it's it's the Sunbow. No, it's the Deke year that they did. Um, it's not good. It, I tr We tried. I tried to watch it with my son. We were obsessed. He was obsessed oh, with right. G.I. Joe. We tried. I have it on DVD. It's not good. Did, did, did that other season, that extra season, still feature Cobra Commander? Yeah, so Cobra Commander, obviously, at the end of the movie, you know, he turns into a snake. I'm right. not a man. Right. right? And um, in the follow-up season, 
they bring Commander back. I think Destro does. And then they bring Serpentor. They, they basically turn Serpentor into a lizard and he slithers off. And then, what? yeah, and then Cobra Commander has this weird costume. Uh, he downs a, he, he has like this cool, like kind of silver mech outfit on, um, but then goes back to the. I remember, yeah. The, he goes back to the traditional uh, cloak over his head, uh, hood, and um, Destro's, you know, gold. Um, it, it the, the animation's sloppy. The voice acting is decent. Oh, that's a bummer. I vaguely remember that. I feel like I would have kept watching it, but it, it must have been something that I didn't that didn't stick with me there. I just really liked Cobra Commander because he was voiced by Chris Latta. Yes, who was an insanely underrated uh, voice actor who I think also did Starscream for yes, he did Transform yeah for Transformers, maybe a few others, and appeared on a really funny uh, Seinfeld episode. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, if you look up Chris Latta. L-A-T-T-A Seinfeld. Um, I think he's like one of the, like some guy on the subway who's like staring down Kramer or something. I I wasn't the biggest Seinfeld. I didn't grow up as like a Seinfeld fan. I've only really recently kind of gotten into it where I'm like, this is really good, right? (laughs) Um, But either which way, shout out to Chris Latta. Nice. You have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Um, I know, gosh, yeah, we, we, if we go back to 87, we will, we will be revisiting G.I. Joe. The toys from that movie were still pretty hot yep. on the shelves at the time. Other toys that were popular were Pound Puppies, um, which I like to reference for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> Karate Kid toys, the Karate Kid action figures, those were always the Remco ones. Uh, yeah, they came in like two packs. Yeah. There was like Johnny and Sensei Kreese, yeah. and there was like Chozen and Sato, and obviously Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And they were only like 11 bucks. They were cheap. Two packs. Yeah, that was great. I remember what Miyagi said. Karate, come from heart. I will show no mercy. Discover the secrets of karate with Karate Kid Tri Action Figures. They chop, twist, and kick. The Karate Kid and Johnny are each sold separately. And for more action, look for the Karate Kid Competition Center from Remco. Um, Brave Star, another one of my absolute favorite cartoons at the time. And actually, Brave Star. Yeah, Brave Star was great. It's great. 
it really is. That's another one that I, I'm I'm kind of glad they haven't bastardized into like a movie or a, t- a modern day kind of whatever. We'll just put some fresh face teen as Marshall Bravestar. Like, you know, just no. No, if, if Wes Studi would have played Bravestar, that would have been badass. That would have been pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's that's not bad. I do like that. Um, that's pretty good. Funny thing on Bravestar, too, is a few of the villains, especially Tex Hex, the main kind of ghostly villain. Yeah. Uh, these were apparently these were rejected characters for the Ghostbusters. The Filmation Ghostbuster cartoon. Yeah, the Filmation Ghostbusters cartoon. And these were all characters that were for that, that they thought were maybe a little too dark or evil. And so they kind of recycled them a bit and used them for Marshall Bravestar. So Bravestar, I think, actually started with Tex Hex as the first character before Bravestar was even developed. Wow, um, cool. So series if i remember if i remember the series was kind of built around tex hacks which is kind of odd um well the the toy line was amazing um i agree it was really cool the figures were they were like eight inches tall and yeah they were big really big yeah and i had i had a, a quite a few of them um i was obsessed with recording myself as a kid playing with my toys and i recreate yeah. i recreated the theme song um i'm actually going to put it in the episode Oh, great. So you can hear what I sounded like when I was eight years old, because I still have the recording. I found I found the tape. It's got me doing He-Man and Brave Star and Visionaries and Supernaturals. Great. Yeah. Supernaturals. Oh, man. Brave Star. Anyways, I have a huge love. I look forward to hearing it. (laughs) Okay, good. Brave Star. Brave Star. A time in deep in space. Planet New Texas was deep in space. Thrice. Three stuns. Was deep in space. Thrice. Three stuns. Suns. Land of precious core. The carrium outrush. Bring outrun spots. Outlaws by the score. Brave Star. Whoosh, Brave Star. With powers of Hawk, Wolf, Puma, and Bear. Brave Star. Ears of the Bear and Speed of the Boom. Strength of the bear and speed of the puma. To brave star. Boom, 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 boom. Brave star. Filmation is amazing. It really is. It really is. I love Filmation Ghostbusters too, but you know, but um. Uh, but did you have a pogo ball? I did not have a pogo ball. I was not. My my son inherited my um my coordination, and I had none. Oh really? <laughs> Oh, I recommend you trying to find yourself a pogo ball and give it another shot. I'm sure you're really good at it. Well, it's like uh, the rings of Saturn. It's like Saturn, <laughs> basically, right? That's kind of how the toy looks like. Yeah. It looks like Saturn. Yep. And you just kind of squeeze this ball with your with the inside of your feet yeah. as you step on the rings of this Saturn-looking toy and bounce around. And it was, it was pretty fun. It looked fun. Um, and then I felt bad because yeah. I couldn't do it. 
Oh, come on. I, I, I have faith in, in ye. Thanks. Appreciate um, it. I'm more coordinated now than I was back in, in 1987. <laughs> well, yeah, I would like to think most of us are. Nice fun facts. Oh, well, I've got, you know, I'll let you, the number one song at the time. Oh, please. I'm sure it was the number one song for all of us. White Snake, Here I Go Again. Oh. <laughs> yeah. One of my so. favorite songs to karaoke to. It's a group. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's can't go wrong with White Snake, man. I still follow uh, the singer to this day on Twitter. He's got a really David Coverdale. Yeah, he's got a great Twitter uh, account. It's pretty comical. I'll have to check that out. Uh, and rest in peace to Tawny Katane. My gosh, what a oh. icon of oh. of the eighties for sure. Yeah, you're right. One of the one of the eighties bombshells. Yep. Wow. Well, that is a great uh, way to wrap up our two matches. A lot of fun, a lot of a lot of zaniness, a lot of heat. Feel, 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 feel my heat. I, I think we should do that again. It's a call back to the beginning of the episode, folks. Um, Paul, thank you, brother. Thank you once again for bringing a great match. USA, USA. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, makes me miss Texas uh, a bit more. A lot more, actually. So give these matches a watch back and hopefully y'all will as well and enjoy them like we have. No, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. And just keep the territories not a thing of the past, not a memory, but something to be treasured and valued every day. I like that. All right. <laughs> do you like that song, by the way, really quick? I do. I do. Yeah. I like that song while I'm working on my Lumberjack uh, <laughs> events, getting ready for the Lumberjack Championships. When are those, by the way? Uh, I believe they're uh, right after we record this, so uh, better get ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Until next time, play us out. Special Mission Force. Its purpose? To defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world.
just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.